0: Great Lakes Guitar Pickups provides fantasy tones at the prices of practical guitars to the world. Featuring top-notch construction, attention to detail, and a fully custom product, if you can dream it, Great Lakes Guitar Pickups can probably build it. Follow them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Great Lakes Guitar Pickups. Are you a regular listener? Why not? David here reminding you of all the ways you can participate in the Practical Guitars podcast. Subscribe using your chosen podcast app. Review us on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Google Play. Find our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash practical guitars. Or on Twitter as at Pract Guitars. Support the show. Merchandise is available in our threadless store at Practical And donate to us via Patreon available at patreon.com slash practical guitars. Reach out to us directly via email at questions at practicalguitars.com. Hello, Jim. Hello, David. My hands hurt so bad right now. When I gave you the finger during the intro, which I do frequently, folks, yes, um, <laughs> my hand, I felt like I was going to cry. Uh, we were working on the flooring this weekend. Notice you my see behind me that there's actually flooring
1: back there now. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. This, this is the kind of idiot I have. I am. This is a koozie. Oh, no, that's not. That's an
0: overpriced koozie. No, no, it's not. Oh, is it you have the Yeti beer koozie? Well, well, it's Diet Diet Pepsi. Well, I know you got Diet Pepsi in there, but it's a beer koozie.
1: Yeah, it's a canned koozie. What? You have a Yeti? It doesn't say Fender on it. I have a Yeti dog dish. Why doesn't it say (laughs) Fender on it? I can't find a Fender koozie. If I could, I'd I'd buy one. All right. Well, um, hey, you want to hear
0: something stupid? Yeah, sure. So I believe it was last week or the week before that I was I was saying how stable my kiesel was, and like Uh-oh. I never had to adjust the truss rod
1: or anything on it. You had to trust truss rod.
0: Of course, I did. Um, <laughs> so the what had happened was when I changed the strings like the last time, and I adjusted the action the following yep. week, which is right at the start of COVID. Right. Yep. I loosened all the strings. I pulled the bridge back and got it off the posts. So I didn't screw up the bridge cause it's a knife yep. edge. Um, and then adjusted the post height, which you really don't have to do on this guitar because it has individually adjustable saddles. Right. That's what I should have done. Um, and then I quickly put it back, you know, like everything was cool. I put back our uh, back together, played great, whatever. Well, I played it a couple times and, I started like, you know, I bet I can get the action lower than what I have it. And I, and I look and I'm like, I measured it. Right. And my action, it was like 1.3 or 1.4 millimeters. So if you don't know anything about guitars or action adjustment and all that, 1.4 millimeters is like high, right? Like that's like on the higher side of things. I've seen people go as high as two, but that would be like, on an acoustic guitar, and the bridge is lifting, kind and of. And you're scenario. doing,
1: and you're playing slide.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and slide, right? Uh, I have played guitars with two millimeter action successfully. Um, I was almost doing it with this, so I was having this conversation with one of our show listeners, Mike Mara, on the side, and I was like, "Dude, how high is like?" Because I'm, I'm like second guessing I'm Like, how high is one point five millimeter action? He goes, that's pretty high, dude. That's pretty like, high. I think that was on the high side of like high medium. Because I'm thinking to myself, like, I've never had to adjust the truss around the, this guitar. Like, what is going on here? Um, so I crank the action down and I start getting a little bit of a backbow. And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. Um, I cranked it down to the fender spec, right? So as I'm doing this and I start getting back the back buzz, I realize, uh oh. And I I didn't cite the neck. Well, I did sight the neck. Actually, that was the first learn bell. I sighted the neck, and it was like a big scoop, you know, yep. Looked like a look like a Frito. Um, and then I uh, I did a measurement, you know, quick. Uh, I put my finger at the, I guess the 17th fret where it joins the body on that guitar, and then the first fret, and I could see like it was it was like it was like the width of a quarter in action or in in uh, <laughs> adjustment there. And it must have happened when I. Either changed strings recently, mm-hmm. or when I uh, did the the action adjustment, but like the neck just didn't like the fact that I took all the strings off or loosened the tension, yep. and it just went. And then so, um, actually, I had it playing great within an hour. Actually, I've had it. I, I set up right now. I have, uh, I think it's at one millimeter action, yeah, and maybe point nine millimeters,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it's like I had it down to point seven. And I was getting just the tiniest bit of um, fret rattle, and I could have gotten away with it, but my picking style was nice. – I didn't feel comfortable, so I brought it up a little bit. Um, but, I mean, that thing plays like butter when it's that low. In fact, to the point where I just kind of like – I just put the guitar down. I played it for a little bit, and I was like, what am I supposed to do with this thing? Like, this plays better than I want it to. <laughs> um and, I don't think and, I'd be complaining about that, but sure. I turned around to my wife and I said, well, that's it. And I said, I'm getting another Kiesel. And uh, she she said, oh, yeah, really? And I said, yes. And I said, when this is all over, I'm getting another Kiesel. And she kind of was like, oh, that's cool. But she didn't say anything else. And I don't think she realized what I really meant, which is like, as soon as this is over, I'm putting in an order and she's probably sitting in the chair giving me – and she is giving me the finger right now. Um, so there will probably be a fight after this. Um, no, there won't be a fight. My wife's really good about this stuff. So she'll – we'll talk about it, and then we'll make it work. I'll buy it on a time schedule that works for the both of us. Um, but she kind of knows that I was going to do this this year at some point anyway. So yeah. – um, but I, I have a lot of a lot of things in mind. Actually, um, good point here. Since Kiesel is like a build-your-own thing, I thought this would be a good night to talk about tone woods and the not just tone woods, but like the uh, perceptions that go along with them and the common perceptions, like what a wood is, you know, where it comes from, is it hard to get? Why is it expensive? And then also more or less talk about you know hey this is the perceived tonal like characteristic of that wood that people think about and the weight and that kind of thing um because i'm i have some very specific so i'm trying to do what you do jim i'm trying to like buy a guitar that i find visually appealing before i find it uh you know all the other pieces of it which is really weird to me because i usually just don't give a crap what things look like um but i'm actually being kind of picky with this one so this, this coming from the guy who doesn't like bats
1: on a strapboard or, or, well, um,
0: that's, and so that's because like, I want thing think mean, that goes back to being a kid, man. I didn't even want to wear like polo shirts that had like logos and stuff on them. I wanted everything to be plain. I didn't want to buy shirts that had logo, and that's not just polos, but like shirts in general. I didn't want to have logos on anything. Um, I get super embarrassed about wearing Nikes cause they have the big
1: swoosh on the side. I mean, it was just like, I don't want to do that. Um, I think this is the only shirt I have that doesn't have a logo anywhere. I don't even think it's one of those tagless shirts. So I don't even think there's a tag in there. Yeah. Yeah. Especially but, but
0: that was like the goal of mine. Right. And so now as an adult, I'm kind of, it's funny because everybody asked me, you know, it's like, look, what kind of guitar is that? My Kiesel. Cause the logo is so dark that you can't see it against the body. And um, they're like, what kind of guitar is that? And I'm like, it's a Kiesel. I'm like, and then I point out the logo. and they're like, Oh, I could see it now. And I'm kind of laughing. I was like, "Well, I wish I have gotten that white logo, so people would never ask me."
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't want to start a conversation. That is not why I bought this. Yeah. I. Yeah. I, to me, as you can see by the the SG and my Les Paul, uh, uh, to me a Gibson isn't a Gibson without the block inla- or well without the trapezoid inlays or block inlays, and a, an offender would be wrong with trapezoid inlays or block inlays or shark tooth inlays or anything else to me a fender dots are that's it dots give me dots
0: you know um i think fender because of the way that they're um laid out designed and because of the history and heritage i think you're absolutely right i think the clay dots against the maple boards and the um sort of faux plasticky like white dots on the rosewood boards are kind of the fender look um I don't like – so they've done stuff over the years where they've got like the trapezoids and stuff like that where I just – they don't do anything for me. Um, Hmm. If you're going to put – if you're going to go to Shark Tooth and that kind of thing, I actually do have an affinity for those inlays. But then it has to be a Jackson. Like it has to be kind of an 80s vibe guitar because even though those, those, um, (laughs) those inlays are like descended from Rickenbacker. Like, oh, yeah, that's. I mean, that's what
1: I was gonna say. It,
0: if Fender were ever to put out a guitar with those inlays, I'd be like, oh god, this just looks wrong. Um, put those get those those inlays on a guitar with that headstock, you know?
1: Yep, so just yeah, cut the to headstock me, off. Yeah, to me, the um, uh, a a Rickenbacker with dots looks wrong, even though the 330s have always had dots, it's the, it's the 60 series, 360s, and uh, that have a shark tooth
0: yeah um i'm not a purist in any way like i think everybody sort of knows that i'm not a purist i'm i'm not afraid to play guitars without a headstock i'm not afraid to um experiment with you know alternate tunings seven strings all that kind of nonsense craziness that people get into when they're um, all that jazz they're okay with blowing things up um and so i look at some of the wood options that are available today and things like the inla- inlay choices you're talking about and i think we live in an interesting time because i mean there's really more options now than there ever have been if you go back to the 1960s what were your options right you're going to get and, and and obviously there there are exceptions to this but you're going to get mahogany yep. and you're going to get alder and maple right yep. and that's and those were the combinations you'd get them in um and maybe you get rosewood so one thing I didn't know. Um, allegedly, uh, Fender wanted to use Rosewood to make entire necks in the beginning. They were talking about that, but Rosewood was too expensive. So in the very beginning, when they were doing it, because you got to understand, like, the, I think it wasn't until like 58 or 59, they started doing Rosewood, ne- Rosewood uh, fretboards. Um, right. And that was because Maple was stable. That was basically the real reason that – and – it was supposed to be like uh, the Model T. The idea is that if something breaks, you just replace it. If the neck warps, you buy another one. Um, right. Which is really kind of surprising. Even bother to put a truss rod in them. Um, but some of the, I guess, I guess some of the first uh, broadcasters they didn't put truss. They rod in didn't. Them. Yeah. Um, well, as evidence, we talked about the the uh, Virginia Strat last week or a week or two ago, um, and yeah. that thing was made out of sassafras. Like yeah. what? Um, stuff did happen like that where you would find these weird woods like pine and alder but but basically your 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 typical fender off the shelf in 1960 is going to be alder body maybe maybe ash and I'm not going to say swamp ash because they used ash from wherever um alder right. body ash um an ash body and a maple neck with another you know piece of maple for the board or um, Rosewood because yep. at that point they were I think they were splitting them and then re-gluing them to put the uh, truss rod in in the, in the early 60s yeah I think that's when that happened because um, before I think it was before that they were doing the skunk, skunk stripe where they were skunk stripe yeah. just ripping them up they were just
1: ripping them out the yeah.
0: route was I'm not I'm not super like well-versed in Fender history and they've done so many de- design changes even in just the early years that oh, yeah. it's almost unfathomable to me that anybody can keep all that straight but um the point is so those are like your basic core tonewood options so if you go to kiesel right and that kiesel is obviously not the only company you can go to you can go to Warmoth. you can go um and there's actually another you know we'll build a guitar for you kind of company i forget what their name is um they're pricey and i didn't like their designs which is why i'm not interested in them but um and they haven't been in business as long as either um they scream startup in fact oh but uh so other wood options right so in the 60s uh if you're buying a um les
1: paul gibson-esque thing you're getting mahogany 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 body mahogany neck mahogany ma- body mahogany net maple cap and a, and a yeah. black um uh, an ebony fretboard right and an ebony fretboard at that time yeah. um and they've really
0: remained pretty hard fast on ebony throughout the years there have been a couple of models they've done with different things but um, yeah rich light
1: and rosewood here and there. yeah
0: yeah but uh well rosewood a lot more recently they, they've been using a lot more rosewood um but that's really been the last 20 years that they they've really championed the rosewood thing i think they started in the 70s with that um yeah. so so that's what your choices were in the 60s now um interestingly enough i was pondering this today and i'm not really sure why so when these when these companies started to to um branch out and look at we were talking about fender and gibson of course. They started to branch out and start looking at other wood choices. They made some interesting, um, some interesting decisions. So for Gibson, um, I, I understand that there was some sort of mahogany problem with acquiring like furniture grade mahogany, which is a- also instrument grade mahogany, pretty nice, right? Um, and so they started switching over to walnut.
1: Yeah, and they time. were making what they called the pancake. So they would have a um, like it looked like a seven layer um, cake almost where they would have like mahogany outside and then the w- walnut and there was, there is, we, um, cause we got one in the store. There is at least one Les Paul run that was walnut through and through. I mean, they did the walnut all the way.
0: through. Yeah. I remember there was a time and I was reading about where they were, they were taking flat color finished guitars and they were being done on a walnut and they weren't yeah. telling anybody and yeah exactly found later when people were like stripping them and stuff that they were walnut and it was like what (laughs) this isn't what i paid for and this wasn't even on the spec sheet like they were they were telling people you're mahogany um and the funny part is walnut and mahogany don't have similar tonal characteristics not in any way um walnut is a brighter wood it's so basically When you're looking at wood and you're trying to understand what the tonality is going to be like, I found that it's helpful to think about, and this is not always true, but it's, it's an approximation. It's helpful to think about hardness because hardness usually means, um, that in tonally you're going to get a brighter guitar. So Um. if you're using, uh, Walnut, which is pretty much the hardest quote unquote tone wood, um, that you can use, like it's going to be a bright freaking guitar, um, as opposed to mahogany, which is actually a softer material, right? Uh, quite a bit softer than alder, there even. Um, so I just thought that was really funny that they, that they went that path. And I think part of it was doing, uh, Jim was doing part because of the SG. Um, they were having all kinds of problems with the SG joints up until the late sixties when they modified the, uh, the joint configuration, um, yep. and the, the way that the, um, the tenon fits together, um, that's when they like shortly thereafter they switched to Walnut. And I think that was also an, um, a nod to Leo Fender's genius, which is like, okay, so he figured out that maple necks are obviously going to be a lot stiffer. So if we yep. moved to Walnut bodies um, and Walnut necks, like they're going to be a lot stiffer, a lot more stable. We're going to have better quality control. Problem right. is you're also going to make your guitar super bright. Yep. Um, and there were some very bright, sgs at that point did they make uh did they make like a darker pickup option at that time
1: i don't remember i i know yeah. that they went to a um what the hell did they call it there were so many pickup variations i mean you had the um no, and, were, and, you and even the...
0: even the variation back then would have been like hey these pickups were around by so and so it you know and they were having a right. smoke break in the middle um, yeah,
1: at noon, and right. then they were like, "Oh, so lunch." Gotta Come go back take in a and break there's in 500 room. more wines than normal. You yeah. um, know? Oh, shucks! How many did I how many did I put on there? Yeah, it, it reminds me of this joke that Tommy um, Tommy Chong was talking about. where he was talking about putting hash in the brownies. Yeah, and he goes, or marijuana brownies, and he goes, he goes, you don't want a stoner who's stoned putting together your brownies because yeah. they're like. They're like, um, did I put any marijuana in these brownies? I guess I better put some in there. And he puts it in and then he goes, "Yeah, no, I wonder if I put marijuana in these brownies. Yeah, you probably before you a know, there's a
0: marijuana, <laughs> yeah. the brownies on top, you yes. know, it's yeah. just
1: barely any, any brownie. With... <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: but that's, that's kind of what, if you think about it, if you were having a kind of a, if you were a pickup winder, right and you wound, I don't know how many pickups you could wind in a day, say a hundred pickups in a day or whatever. Um, if you were winding a hundred pickups in a day you were sitting there and it's like, mm. and if you didn't have like back then they had a counter, right? But it was probably one of those click off counters. Like those things you use click, click, click. click. Yeah.
0: I but think, was, they're, I think they were even automatic back then, but yeah. prior to, cause that probably would have happened in the mid seventies. So prior to that, maybe they accidentally did it. Maybe they, maybe they broke the wire and they restarted it and they accidentally hit the counter to reset it. Like those kinds of things happened. Yeah. Um, And
1: can you imagine like, all right. So ideally you would not want any joints in your wire. The wire would be one strand. Yeah. So you'd have a bobbin and you go, and then, you know, and for the the guys that are doing a
0: million, if they're doing like a million pickups a day, they're yeah. they're they're not breaking much wire, but no. that doesn't mean that the one out of ten good the, Gibsons wasn't the result of somebody
1: screwing up, right? Or a, a spool coming, or or a wire got had a um, burr in it, and then, it, and then it, right, you know, we don't know. Um, I mean, that's some those who haven't uh, wound a pickup or ever wound a motor by that mean, or by that uh, means. Um, it is really really thin wire. Um, depending on what you're you know you can't see it minding. and there's what like a, a mile of wire in a single pickup or a half mile it's a ridiculous yeah it's, it's some
0: that. crazy amount like that but um like if you take a strand of your hair i yeah. would say you can see your hair better than you can see some of the pickup wire that i've seen yeah um and the and this the ones i wound like we were doing it and it was not good lighting conditions and i'm like I don't know where the wire is like, I'm like, Oh, there it is. <laughs> um, I, I felt oh, yeah, it's like, like a fish, like biting the bait. Cause I'm like, I can't see the wire.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's like, um, uh, what's that stuff? Even like silk. Look, Russ, no wire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you can, like I said, you can imagine that if, if you were just sitting there, then like a cool song comes on you move your head, Oh crap. <laughs> you know, um, I can't imagine doing that. All right. So I'd be bored out
0: of my friggin' mind. So that's what it, I was, but that's what I was insinuating is like when they were producing guitars at a Walnut, did they modify the pickup configuration <laughs> slightly to make
1: that more palatable? Because I see, could see uh, them doing that. I bet they didn't see. That's just it to me. This is, this is, you know, like there are a lot of dog seventies guitars.
0: Oh yeah. Especially, especially for, for Gibson and Fender specifically.
1: Yeah, the, the yeah the CBS era for for Fender, and especially once because you got to think about this when when Leo left the company and this is what a lot of people don't think about. They're like, okay, that day everything changed. No, no, that day everything <laughs> didn't change. He didn't even he was... leave the company that day. Like he was a consultant right. for them for years afterwards. Well, even then you got to think about the fact that they still had like say uh, buckets, literally buckets of of pickups and and. There was wood in the in the dryer. There were still things that were going on. There were still bodies made, and so when you think about that, whether it was Fender or Gibson, um, I'm willing to bet you that when they first went to Walnut, they didn't do any changes. They were like, "Yeah, just throw the pickups we got in there. Just put them in there."
0: Yeah, probably. And back then, that sounds that sounds accurate because like they were they were not like I get the impression that the industry back in the '60s and '70s was like we're a fad. Like we don't right. really have to worry about this stuff because, yeah. it's not all that important. Nobody's well, really paying attention about,
1: to it. Yeah. So, let' all right. Let let me, let's get you into our their frame of mind. Frames of mind. The business people. All right. They're they're ta- they're not referring to rock and roll like we refer to rock and roll. They go, you know, that rock and roll. You know that rock and yeah. roll stuff that you yeah. kids play. That's now like and,
0: the you know right. the, the legendary stuff that we all look at. You know.
1: <laughs> yeah. The um like. Albums like Pet Sounds and stuff like that. It, it, when that was being done, it was. Um, I was watching The Wrecking Crew, which, by the way, if you can get a, if you get a hold of Wrecking Crew or you can watch The Wrecking Crew, it's on YouTube uh, Premium. If you sign up for a free month, get a chance to watch it. Anyway, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. Um, they're talking about how Disney called them up and said, Hey, come on down here. We need you to come into a session. Now, these guys were sight readers. They were, they were really yeah. top-notch musicians, right? But they were playing rock and roll because that's what was file, <laughs> you know, filling their pockets. Paying the bills. <laughs> yeah. You you talked to uh, um, it, it was great to listen to Carol Kay, was who was um, you know, an incredible guitar player and bass player. And she was talking about how she had millions of dollars before some of the bands that she knew yeah. had millions of dollars. Um, and she was making a ton of money, you know, because she. But she was working all the time, right? And uh, you know, a lot of these guys. So anyway, they they went into the the stu- the studio uh, for Disney, <clears throat> and at at Disney Studio, they came in and they said, "Okay, um, we're going to show you the you know the scene that you'll be playing your rock. That's what they would your rock and roll to, and." Here's the sheets in front of you, and um, you know she's going to click it in at part time, like slower, so that you can get used to it before we speed it up for you. And they said that the the person that clicked them in clicked them at the right speed instead of the wrong speed. And she went, she hit the button before they had a chance to hit record, and it was click, 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 boom, and they played the whole piece. And then they went, oh man, we wish we were rolling tape. <laughs> Through it again, and it was they said, Wow, you guys are actually good. It was yeah. just it uh, was just yeah. amazing. They were the wrecking crew, yeah. right? And but if you can imagine um some of these people, the way they came up, and uh, like you said, most people thought it was gonna be a fad. Most people thought it was still gonna be the jazzers, it was still gonna be classical. Even um, Leo Fender thought that. I mean, he made the yeah. Jazzmaster
0: because. He thought jazz guitars were gonna buy it. I mean, right? Which uh, it, he was it, wrong. It, it didn't work out that way. But um so, thank goodness for the surf scene. So, but basically, that's the mindset. Like a lot of the stuff that we we take for granted today was just happy accident, right? Um, right. So now, let's we're we're talking about seventies guitars. So, like, are there any other major players that we really want to touch base? Because I I know there are cats in the seventies that are building guitars outside of Fender and Gibson. I don't yeah, think any of them are I don't even think it's yeah. super relevant today but I think that that's about to change in the part of the conversation since we moved to the 80s. Um right cuz yeah Charvel right, way Charvel yep. was a big influence because he was he was basically taking parts from Fender and parts from other companies and then like tricking them out and selling these
1: guitars to studio cats and stuff. Um Now wasn't wasn't was it Paul Jackson? Peter Jackson? I can't remember. Grover Jackson? That's later. Grover Jackson. That's later. He was
0: a friend of his and they were all right. doing kind of similar things. Um, but Scherthe weren't they was building the guy parts, to, go to.
1: Right, right, but weren't they building parts for Fender at some point? I think Like they, replacement parts? Or at least replacement parts, kind of like Warwick does now? I
0: think Grover Jackson was. Charvel was buying parts from Fender to make his product. Which was like gotcha. the opposite of what was yep. what you would think would be going on, um, and then he would sell them back to him in some cases. But but more often because they didn't have a custom shop back then, so like there was none of that kind of thing going on. So right, Charvel was basically the first Fender custom shop, right? Wayne Charvel sure. and his in his business, his cottage industry, and of course, there's also um, like Grover Jackson, and these other dudes. And by the end of the '80s, because these guys started in the late '70s, so like '75 to you know to like the 80, By the end of the 80s, these companies had both Fender and Gibson terrified because they were making guitars um, that that you'd see in the hands of pretty much every player on MTV. Jackson Guitars owned Charvel by the end of the 80s. Jackson Guitar owned Kramer by the end of the 80s, I think at one point. Uh, No, Kramer was was always separate. Kramer was separate. Kramer owned somebody else, though. Uh, Maybe they were the ones that bought
1: Charvel. I think they, I think, no, were, I think, I think you had it right the first time because Kramer wound up with Gibson and it, Charvel and Jackson wound up with Fender. It's crazy. So I don't know. The, the it, point is, and I, if somebody's getting something wrong here. It doesn't matter. It was like, yeah, it was like trying to keep track of football and baseball. Teams yeah. At like
0: you were just, I mean, and, and, and the designs were just radically different and you start to see something, some things get resurrected. So like Gibson did this like really quirky sort of series called the Modern Series, which had like Explorers and stuff in it, which kind of took off yep. in the 70s, but um, yep. really wasn't a big hit when it first started. And they were making bodies out of Karina. Now, the funny thing was yep. those Karina bodies were like a really sought after thing. But that happened because Gibson didn't want to pay the prices for Mahogany. And they're like, Karina's cheaper. Let's buy that. And then they get it right. and they start working with it. And they realize, oh my God, these are awful to make guitars out of. We're not going to do Karina ever again. so other companies like grover jackson and and, you know like his companies and uh kramer and these other companies they weren't afraid to experiment with things like koa and karina and these other tonewoods started to become like a commonplace thing Um, basswood basswood um and that really like that comes from the far east so as as guitar production for the inexpensive stuff started to move over to china and japan um which not so much China, uh, mostly Japan, Indonesia, mostly Japan, pro- right? Japan, Indonesia, Korea. Uh, Korea yep. came kind of later, but uh, I mean, basically prompted by Ibanez and and the uh, the knockoff companies that were over there. Yeah, they were looking for cheap alternatives to. Um, yeah, Tokai. Yeah. Um, well, the funny yeah. thing is, so basswood, basswood in appearance looks like mahogany right and i have a theory that the reason that these companies started to use basswood was because you could approximate the look of mahogany that's right but it but would the have the radically different. the softness of pine and yep. the if not softer than pine and the uh like you said that the tonality is like the super balanced mellow thing right there's not really right. a whole lot going on there um i would say it has the tonal peculiarity of like like Medium density
1: fiberboard, you know, like it's how but, you would expect medium density fiberboard to sound. Um, I think that's what you're what you're talking about right now. Before you go too far, is that that that's the thing that people um, I don't know if people think about the fact that so if you took the pickups of a Les Paul or or, a, or an SG, they're they're made out of a very dense wood, so the guitar itself is very bright. So to tame that, that's why they make a, a really Darker, darker pickup sounding pickup, yeah. Already, so they're relatively dark. If you took a pickup out of a Gibson and stuck it into a fender,
0: yeah, it's it sounds quirky. It's like, I mean, it's a very specific thing. I, I know people yeah. have done it with good success, um, but yeah. it's just like you have to be you have to be into that sort of sound in order to in order to get on with it. Um, exactly. So that isn't even like the golden age of crazy wood options right so you can get guitars into the well into the 90s made out of things like koa these like yep. uncommon woods so in 19 i think it was like 87 it might have been earlier than that uh fender starts a custom shop and then this leads to even more like crazy wood options and very shortly thereafter gibson starts their custom shop yep which actually i believe started as an AR thing so their custom think- shop was not to the public at first no yeah uh, not in the beginning it was artist in relations as an r if you didn't know um yeah. oh i wasn't telling you jim i was telling your listeners i, I no, know no, you I know, know a r is um so uh, they uh where are we oh uh talking about the invigorating choices of wood um that wood. are available today versus what they're building back to so um you had things like koa floating around mahogany yeah karina became uh became a thing i remember seeing some karina like strap body guitars that were popular in the 80s um you see guitars every once in a while with like a rosewood neck um yeah and rosewood is uh <laughs> rosewood's a weird wood because you'd think that it doesn't look like there's anything fancy going on with rosewood but until you play an actual rosewood
1: neck guitar you don't know what's up with that oh wood. my god i love we've had uh five or six Fenders with rosewood necks. I mean totally rosewood folks. Not not rosewood fingerboard, rosewood everything. Um and necks. And those things are just incredible. Yeah. I love
0: every one of them. They're wild. They have so much like spark and stuff to them and so much snap and like there's a lot of clarity to them. It's it's funny because You'd think more companies would be like dialed into using rosewood, but there's a reason they don't,
1: and that's because rosewood
0: it. is freaking expensive.
1: Now there is a there is a limited run. Of course, you can't buy a brand new one, but you can find a used one on the market. Uh, Telecaster that's rosewood that was um, uh, modeled after one Telecaster that was supposed to be a one off for George Harrison, uh, and then they actually saw it.
0: They did more than one. They did um guitars from from sixty I was reading about this day. From sixty-nine to seventy two. There were several Rosewood telecasters made. And they weren't just made for him. They went to other people too. But they're rare, like and they're very yeah, they're expensive. Super rare. And they're very expensive.
1: Yeah. yeah, and I know that he owned what did he own two? I wanna say he owned two. But anyway, um uh I know his son has one. Um and you know, ones at a museum or something is if I remember, or maybe that's the one that is in the museum. I'm not sure, but um, I know they were super rare. They were difficult to find. They were very expensive. They're still very expensive. You can buy a custom shop one, uh uh-huh. but you will pay. But it's, I mean, if there's any guitars that I've found that are worth it, it, if, if I was to run out and buy a custom shop one, that would probably be right up top of my list. Yeah. See, I, I, I don't think the Rosewood body does anything for me.
0: No, but the Rosewood neck. Oh yeah, for sure. And you can get Rosewood necks. You're like warm off even. Um, yeah, it's just an expensive like piece, but there is something magical about it. It's not your typical neck wood. Um, and I think these processes, so they lead to the cut fender custom shop, which happens in the eighties and then goes, it starts getting into its heyday in the nineties. And then you have uh, the Gibson custom shop, which starts off as an AR program and ends up becoming a, to the public option. Um, and so you start to see more and more use of exotic woods from that too. That's the, um, actually I believe Gibson custom shop started doing Karina before, um, their production line did Karina again. Cause I know they've done some Karina explorers and stuff through the production line, but they're rare. They're not, they're not cheap, but when they show up, people are very interested. Um, and so they still do them once in a while you'll see like cousin like Wildwood will do a run of um Karina guitars every once in a while or something like that and you can and you can get your hands on them and they're and they're pretty cool um so that brings us to these modern manufacturers that are looking at like crazy woods and I think Kiesel um and Warmoth actually are kind of at the forefront of this conversation but as well as other small builders so they took kind of the spirit of like Um, guys like, uh, um, way Charvel, who is experimenting with using some weird woods here and there. And, uh, Grover Jackson, who was way less than afraid, um, and Kramer and, uh, John Sir, after he leaves the custom shop, um, who are experimenting with, with things like basswood and, um, some of the other obvious wood choices that we know today. So I want to go, um, actually, I think Kiesel is a good place to start. Because they offer a bunch of wood options. Many that are not even in this list because they're considered off book. Um, But these are widely available and you'll run into these in public. And you will see these guitars around. Um, Not Kiesel specifically, but guitars made with these woods. Uh, Let me pull up their wood finder pagey thingy. Um, And I'll try not to focus on the stuff people know about. Um, cause there's, I'm still learning about this stuff. Like I, I was not totally aware of like how a walnut would sound until recently. Um, so Alder, they do hard rock maple, um, which is a Canadian variety of maple. Uh, again, that's your typical maple sound mahogany. Of course, we've talked about that. That's a warm sound. Um, swamp ash in general is going to be a lot like Alder. Uh, it's just going to be lighter than Alder, really. I mean, um, in terms of tonality, it's going to sound very similar, maybe a little bit more complex uh, top end. But I think that varies from piece to piece. Um, so I wouldn't bet the farm on that. Uh, black walnut is pretty much the brightest uh, wood that you can get your hands on that I know of, um, except for wenge, um, which is not in this list. Wenge is absurdly bright. Um, I do not, I, it's also absurdly stable, which is why people are wanting to use it for necks and stuff, but it is not easy wood to work with. Um, so Koa, uh, so Koa is one that, that, you might've seen somebody have a Koa guitar at some point. That's like a mahogany. Um, it's a similar sound to mahogany. Uh, I, it has a, it does have a more complex top end. I've heard it described as a smoky sounding wood. Um, And uh, a lot of people consider that to be like the premium wood option. If you're going to build a guitar body and you want to spend some money and you want to get something that's very unique but sounds really cool, uh, a lot of people look to Koa for that. Uh, Black Limba, which is actually Karina. It's a dark Karina, which I don't think Gibson made guitars out of the dark Karina. Um, I have a guitar out of Black Limba. I'll say it's very, very similar to Mahogany. Um, It's a darker wood uh it does have some interesting things going on in the top end but it's not like I would say it's it's very consistent with mahogany I think mahogany is a bit smoother sounding um and then of course white limbo which is actually supposed to be basically mahogany um and that is just the normal grain pattern for a mahogany like if you see it it's it looks very similar to mahogany the only difference is mahogany is orange in color um typically and white limba, and that varies by the way, but white limba is typically like more like ash or alder, like your typical lighter wood color. Um, you can get, you can talk about top woods. I don't think top woods have a ton of effect on the sound, but if somebody uses a top wood, you can guarantee that someone's used it as a body wood too. Um, and that's where I, I think we'll we'll start here. So there's, you know, Curly maple, quilted maple, those are basically varieties of maple. They're going to sound the same as maple, um, but they're going to look prettier. Um, Koa, again, same thing as above. Claro walnut is basically like figured walnut. Uh, same sound qualities. Uh, they use also have burled maple, spalted maple. Again, same sound qualities as maple. Buckeye burl. Now you're getting into the weird stuff. So this is uh, the top. that If you've ever seen it, it looks kind of like a galaxy. It's got little holes in it and it actually, they f- usually fill them with some sort of epoxy um, or resin. So the guitar has a smooth finish, but it looks like a nebula or something because of the pattern and the way that they, I believe it's a fungus that uh, actually creates that pattern. Um, I know it's a fungus in the spalting. That's a, uh, like a, it's a fungus and some sort of bacteria that react or something. Um, and then of course, poplar burl. These are all, so poplar, buckeye, that's the wood Burling is the process by which the uh, tree decays or is affected by the illness that creates the pattern. Those pieces of wood are very expensive, Um, and it's because they're rare. Not every tree gets a disease. Um, And, of course, zebra wood, that's one of my favorites. Um, It's a resonant wood. It has a lot of mid-range character. I can talk about that one because I've actually played a guitar that was made out of zebra wood, which is absolutely insane. Um, not just the top, the whole guitar. Um, spruce and cedar, of course, for acoustics, that's that's what you're normally going to run into. Um, but the point is that, you know, you've got all these variety of options. Let's go over to um, Warmoth Moth as well and see what they're offering because they usually have some crazy wood choices, too. Um, been- your Babinga. yeah babinga is the one i was thinking of that's like there's no babinga here wow so they have some new finishes that look amazing um i'm glad i popped I over here the 40th anniversary special dies like is incredible pele, the pele fade which i like yep. that tahitian sunset nebula burst which i like that maui surf uh, i've seen it done before northern lights it's okay I think the three—the Nebula Sunburst, Tahitian Sunset, and Pe- Pele Fade—are probably the best. Um, so let's build custom because I want to see the body wood selection, so we can just kind of get an idea of what other things are out there. Um, you'll find so if you buy strat style bodies um, from any company really, uh, or you buy a strat guitar like a lot of times. It's Warmoth making the body, or it's uh, there's a couple of other companies that do it. Um, but in general, you're going to find out that like they're sourcing their body somewhere else and maybe they're finishing in house, or maybe they make the bodies but they're sending to the Warmoth to finish them. Like Warmoth has their hands in a lot of the industry and people don't realize it. Uh, it's the same thing as what we talked about them the show before Godin used to make guitars for the Fender Custom Shop long before yeah. they didn't need their own guitar stuff um and kiesel back when they were carving used to make guitars for different companies such as defender custom shop and quietly not tell anyone they were doing it because uh sometimes they need help sometimes they can't produce enough to fill an order and sometimes they need a little assistance so it's a quick and convenient way to do that um so core woods for uh for uh uh, Warmoth Moth actually look very similar to the core woods we found over at Kiesel. So Poplar, Basswood, Swamp Ash, they do offer Basswood over here, which is interesting. Kiesel does not offer Basswood. And uh, there's a lot of people, if you go around, you'll I'm sure you'll see the joke that Basswood is really just long form for Asswood because uh yeah. <laughs> most people do not have a high opinion of basswood and it's pretty crazy to me that some of the highest end guitars on the market right now are being made with basswood diamond is gem basswood oh actually technically no it's not it's alder um I, I lied on that one but there are other guitars like sir they're made out of basswood sir says that's the golden tonal combination is basswood and whatever top i'm like you're out of your mind um but you have to understand these woods, we talked about this on the show before, there's different species. So what we typically perceive as basswood may not be what other people are perceiving as basswood. So also we have um, maple ma- mahogany, black carina, which is, again, that's the limba, um, walnut, roasted swamp ash, and roasted alder. So I think of all the bodies, the, the body was you we were talking about, they have the same ones. They do yep. have some different top options. So they have, um, so the Babinga, this is one of them, which I've seen Babinga guitars. Um, you will see stuff like that at Nam. Somebody's going to build a guitar out of this crazy plank of exotic wood that costs a thousand dollars just for the wood, yep. um, or 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 six thousand dollars for the slab of wood they made the body out of. I mean, they're because you know it's a it's a Nam guitar, yeah. um, lace wood uh i don't know and some of these i don't know anything about like i don't think i've ever seen a lacewood body but it it's an australian wood apparently um lacewood paduke, which is another popular one i've seen next man on of padauk a lot lately yep um indian rosewood uh quote maple normal spruce for an electric guitar top is kind of weird uh, walnut yep wenge again zebra wood. And then of course you roasted uh swamp ash roasted
1: alder so i i built a rosewood or i mean uh a, a, yeah a rosewood neck with a rosewood um fretboard stainless steel frets yeah it's 6100 fretboard wire fretboard wire i could probably go 6105 but it will be the same thing and it was 457 dollars just for the neck folks you know what though? that's just that's for not- neck. That's not, not terrible. That bad. No, it's not. It's not terrible.
0: That's not that bad because I have, I have priced out maple necks. Yep. the roasted, of course, roasted yeah. maple necks um, with a flame, you know, with like a flame maple board. Um, yep. And that's about 400 to 500. So that sounds about right. Um, yep. If you don't know the roasting process is the idea that they're going to bake it to make it more stable. Right. Um, and they're doing it now with bodies And I don't think it's to make the body more stable. I think it's to sweat off the moisture content that exists in a body because it's a thicker piece of wood. Um, And also because it changes the color of the wood. Um, And that's desirable for some people. It changes the grain pattern and all that. I watched a guy on YouTube, and I wish I had the video handy because I would put it in the show notes, take a El Cheapo guitar with a maple neck from China, right? Right. Make the neck playable. And then wrap wire around the neck and then connect the wire to an electrode to heat it up. And what it did was it actually like put burn lines into the neck and then he sanded it real fast. And it looked like flame. I was like, wow, why would you even bother to buy a flame one? Because if you know anything about flame maple, it's soft. Yeah. Uh, So so is bird's eye. You have to be kind of careful with it because it's softer than standard maple. Uh, for using the neck, that's not exactly what you'd want to do. Yeah. Now, a lot of modern companies are are doing things to, to strengthen the stability of the neck. So they're putting carbon fiber rods or they're using a carbon fiber truss rod or they have a double action truss rod, which is helpful. Um, there's a lot of different ways that they can, they can strengthen the neck to make it so that it isn't blowing in the wind. Um, and if you've ever owned a Gibson, you know that the necks are soft enough. You could bend them with your bare hands. Um, I had a Gibson and I was so aggressive in my playing style that I could not keep the damn thing in tune, not in tune, but like intonated because I would play a G and I would hold the neck in such a way that it would actually like twist. Um, and I could hear it going out in and out of tune as I was playing. Uh, it, it was not something that probably most people would have noticed, but I noticed it and drove me nuts. Um, so I think it's just interesting. We live in this time. So we've, we talked about the golden age of pedals before on the show that we're living in the golden age of guitar effects and Jim, you're building the golden age board. Like you're going on this whole quest to be, and he, he barely even talked about that on the show. Jim yeah. is buying. Jim is buying right now. Like every freaking pedal he sees that he's mildly interested in, in the whole idea that he's going to build this monster board. Um, you yep. which I kind of laugh because I'm like, I already did it. Like uh, I Jim's going through this whole process and I'm like I'm advising him, I'm like, don't do that. Don't just don't. You, dude, you're wasting your time. Like you're wasting your money. Don't don't bother. Um and it's not because I'm saying that pedals are bad pedals are bad. You shouldn't do pedals. Um pedals are bad. Yeah. Bad. Not, <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. I look, I have I have a collection of pedals. Um and I have some that I have very sentimental attach sentimental uh, sentimental attachment to, and they're very inexpensive, so it's like why sell them it's not worth it um and i have other pedals that have insane amounts of value attached to them that is like why do i even own this but i own it and i'm it's not going anywhere um so the reason why i've been advising jim and having this contextual thing about hey i've already done this you're making a mistake is more or less because um i don't want to see jim make a mistake and i know the kind of player jim is and i know uh I know his attitude about things. And like, I know he's going to put this board together and he's going to take it to like a gig or two. And then he's just going to put it in a bag and be like, Nope. Cause it's just too heavy. And it's like too much of a pain in the butt
1: to deal with. Yeah. I've already made a lot of of changes in design. (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't mean the monster board goes away. It just means that it doesn't go anywhere. Um, But the, cause it, it would be easier to demo stuff here with a monster board than, than a, bunch of little boards but the fact of the matter is i'd rather carry two small boards and one big board um it's easier to to lug around yeah but it's so like i think the fantasy
0: getting away from tonewood by the way i think the fantasy is that actually pressure stop for a minute before we go on and then we'll talk about jim's fantasy um i want to talk about the fact that we're giving away a freaking guitar folks what Um, we are yeah, it's got it's got Great Lakes guitar pickups in it, and Jim's giving away a Squire Affinity Telecaster with a lot a little amount of damage on it, um, right. but it's got it's got those pickups in it. Uh, the pickups are worth more than the guitar, folks. You yep. you want the pickups? If if you don't care about the guitar, still enter for the pickups. Trust me, um, they're good, and and you'll enjoy them. I promise. And in the face of everything that's been going on lately, which I promised I wouldn't talk about on the show, uh, you should enter to win this guitar. I don't have the actual date for the drawing in front of me. I'm hoping to put it up in our Facebook group later this week. Uh, you will get it in the next episode. I will yep. announce when we're going to do the drawing. The original date was going to be like this week on April 3rd, but we 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 balked on that because neither of us wants to go out and get COVID 19 to ship it. Right. Um, and it is in Jim's possession, so he would have to be the one to risk himself. And I'm not going to make anybody. And it ain't going to happen. So, so right. we're not going to do that. Um, that being said, if you haven't entered, you're interested in Telecasters, you're interested in winning a free guitar, uh, please enter the contest. Also, support our show. You know, we do this show, and it's great, uh, apparently, I've been told. Um, and then I la- I look at them, and I laugh, and I go, are, what are you listening to? I mean, we're, we're talking about a show where nobody could hear Jim up until a couple weeks ago. Um, <laughs> no, uh, if you're interested in this show and you want to support us, we have a Patreon uh, Patreon.com slash Practical Guitarist, I believe. If you can search for us on there, you'll find us. We also have a threadless store. You can find us at threadless.com slash Practical Guitarist. Um, all of this stuff is in the announcement section of our Facebook page. Uh, we have a very active community there, filled with very interesting and cool people. Uh, I would highly recommend you join our Facebook group and participate in the madness. Uh, so, that, that being said, let's get back to Jim's fantasy. Um, so, your fantasy. Versus everyone else's fantasy, Jim. This is what we're going to talk about. Uh, At least, uh, not everyone else, but like, you know, a fair portion of people I've spoken with. Your fantasy is I want everything to be mobile enough that I can carry it. Most people's fantasy is I want to be able to have a guitar amp in one hand, a pedal board in the other, and a guitar on my back. And that's how I'm getting to the gig. And your fantasy is I want... A guitar pedal case in one hand, a guitar pedal case in the other hand, an amp somewhere in this mix, a, a, a probably multiple guitars on my back. Like <laughs> you're just you're just adding to your problem. You're adding to your burden, Jim.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, It's like like when he bought you know the, his uh, fourth or fifth katana, um, because he was like, I just don't want to lug the amp around or whatever. And then I finally kind of had to slap some sense into him and be like, Look. Jim, stop it. Just get the amp you want and stop buying all these other amps.
1: Right?
0: And and and, and he now has a DSL 40, which I guess it's his 40, right? The 40 yeah. C R. Yep, 40. Um, what else what else do you own now? You got a Tone Master too.
1: A Tone Bastard. I have the Tone Master uh um Deluxe twin. Or twin. Twin Reverb, I'm sorry. Yes, the Twin Deluxe Deluxe. Twin. I'm like shaking my head like, what is that?
0: I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't make that amplifier. I think they only had three words. They they just came up with it. (laughs) They only had three words that they could combine to make amps out of. Have you noticed this? Like they had Deluxe, Super, and then like Reverb. (laughs) It was like, uh, and then it was like some combination of the above. And sometimes they would have like a trim. (laughs) So You just, you know. mix mix and match uh pro would be in there every once in a while um (laughs) it doesn't seem like they have that many uh titles for their amplifiers um no so you're gonna do two boards you're gonna get two smaller boards yep jim can i can i share with our show listeners our my journey with this before we started this show yeah so jim and i sort of met because i was on my tonal pedal you know alice in wonderland journey down the rabbit hole right? right um gosh that was a long time ago when i started that process so probably 10 or 15 years ago before i had any money well I, no it would have been about 10 years ago um before i had any money i decided that i was going to get the pedals i wanted and i was going to get a good amp so i found a good amp right away like i bought a rivera r30 yep. for like 500 bucks from guitar yeah, great Center. amp yeah, they, they are good. I, I wish I could get that one back, Nick, um, if he's listening. Um, uh, my wife and I were talking about today actually. Um, so the uh, I had the amp, so I started buying the pedals, right? And so I bought my first germanium fuzz pedal. It was like the first like extraordinary trip down pedal board lane, right? Right. And then very shortly thereafter, I bought an OCD and then i started buying like things in droves uh and then i got my first good job which you know really helped out and i was buying dude i went to i went to chicago music exchange on my birthday and i spent nine hundred dollars or something on pedals
1: oh my god um
0: yeah in one sitting um and i bought i think that i bought a warped vinyl i bought a fuzzmaster general and it seems like there was something else i bought so yeah. to put it in respect to the warp vinyl is like a 200 and it's like, I think it's a like $300 um, chorus. Oh. And then I bought uh Fuzzmaster general, which was like a $200 octave fuzz. Yeah. Um, and the joke was, as I was walking, I was like, you can't do me a better deal. And the guy kind of behind the counter goes, nothing you bought. I can make a deal on. He's like, you could have bought this. I could have made you a deal on that. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, why didn't you tell me that then? <laughs> I was like, now you're not helping me. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so I probably spent three or $4,000 in guitar pedals yep. over the time I owned this board. Now, I'm saying that in the sense that I didn't actually spend three or $4,000. i would buy a bunch of stuff, and then I would ship – I would sell off the crap I didn't like. Yep. And I that had – That OCD went fast, didn't it? <laughs> I actually held on to that for quite some time. Did you? Um, but Spized. I don't – I thought about buying it back a couple of times. Yeah. But um, I've been – like there are better pedals than that i think actually I would have been happier with a crunch box over an ocd yeah. um so if i listed out the amount of pedals that i've owned in that time period it would just i i honestly it would demoralize my mind-boggling this is why i just don't care about pedals anymore you've had owned, more pedals than i've ever owned i've just owned everything but ex- except for like the extremely boutique we only made 10 of these kind of deals right uh, the stuff that like uh it's really exclusive. You can't buy it from a store kind of stuff. I don't I haven't necessarily had a lot, which of that, you still can't
1: ship to me because you can't go out.
0: I'm still planning on getting
1: that to you. I may go to the post. No, no and you can
0: put gloves and a mask on. Yeah. I got my mask right here.
1: Yeah. Uh, I've got it. I've got a box of gloves. I keep by the door and I've got my mask. I got to have entertainment
0: car. during COVID too, man. Like I can't just sit here and play the same stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I, I've, uh, been sitting to think about that like uh how many pedals i've owned so just to give you some highlights i had the the vexter series fuzz factory at some point during that time period yeah i've had two different phase 90s i've had um of course i have the ethos i've owned it twice um i've had several germanium fuzz pedals um i had a qsec screamer fuzz which is really cool i've got two pelletars which i still own um i have a i have a like a rare one-off that he made me and then i have a gold one that leon from pelican noise works made uh sold normally so i have the v1 and i have like a real low serial number one too um yeah. and then i have uh what else do i got or i've had i have my have own uh just overdrive pedals and stuff like i can't even think about some of it to be honest with you as i step back and i like i don't even remember it all I have pictures of most of it, so I scroll through and I go, "Oh yeah, I did have one of them." Like that's that's the reaction I have. Jim It's like, "Oh, I did yeah. have one of them. How about oh, that?"
1: Um,
0: I made a list at one that. point. I made a list at one point. I believe there were over fifty pedals on the list,
1: yeah.
0: Um, which is pretty, which is pretty telling. Um, and you know what? Well, you know what I ended up with when when it was all said and done. I built a board that was so big, and had so much stuff on it. How I big was it? I couldn't put it in the trunk of my car. Yeah. And I didn't have a little trunk. I had a, I had a Volkswagen Passat. I couldn't fit it in. Yeah. The trunk on that is massive. Huge. Okay. I know. Um, and so I finally just said, no, I can't do this anymore. So I actually bought, I bought wood. I cut and I made a, I made a smaller board and I stacked some pedals on it. I had a DD5, 500 and all this other stuff on it. I had an ES, I had an ES8. The big yep. guy, I had that thing mounted on there. I had the Ethos on there, um, which is another giant pedal. Like, I didn't care about what they, how, how big they were. Like, <laughs> right. who cares? Um, and that pedal board weighed probably 50 pounds or something, 40, yeah. 40 50 pounds. Um, Ridiculous. Yeah, well, the big one was even worse than that. It was like, it was like 65 pounds. Um, and it was a temple board. They were supposed to be light. Listen, folks, temple is not what it's cracked up to be. I know everybody. Right. Everybody's like, "Oh yeah, Temple's wonderful." Temple's wonderful if you don't want your, or if you don't mind your board flexing while right. you're using your pedals on it, and you don't mind the screws only having like three threads to hold things together. They're not very well machined at all.
1: Yeah, I don't um, so.
0: and for the amount of money you pay for them, they're not worth it. I right. would never buy another pedal. I would never buy another Temple board ever. Um, they, that was a, that was the biggest mistake I've ever made. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I didn't have any physical problems with it, but it was like, it was a nightmare. I just kept remembering like, Oh, it's pedals. The pedal board's huge. And there's no support in the middle. So it was just, you know, sagging. Yeah, um, so true. I put, I made the small board and that worked out for like six weeks. And then one day I got up and I was like rewiring it that day. And I, I just said to myself, why in the hell did I just buy a Helix? Like at this yeah, point, at this point, when you went to the Helix. Yeah. I, this one, I bought the Helix and that's right around the time the show started yeah because you um, saw i
1: remember you selling off all that stuff and yeah i did i i
0: ditched it all and i don't i don't miss any of it like i, I the things i miss i still own or, or i bought back mm-hmm. yeah um and literally yeah literally and, one of them you bought it back uh and to be t- the, the exact one i had did um, you sell the fun the sunface? no i haven't okay no, no, this is still my collection. I didn't think so. I don't okay. sell. I like. I haven't sold much since I went through the, the big pedal board purge. Yeah. Um, Jim, how many power supplies did I have on that board, if you remember? Oh my god! What three, four? I had two. I had the I had the Voodoo Lab oh, you had the uh, pedal power plus, board, and I had the Mondo on there.
1: I was gonna say you had the Mondo, didn't you?
0: Yeah, because, yeah, uh, yeah, I think I have both. And it, there was a there was like nine pedals on the board, but I had some weird requirements, so I had to have both. <laughs> Um, and, uh, like I said, I just don't miss it. I, I, am I'm saying this to you out of the kindness of my heart, Jim. You're going to, you're going to think that this is a really cool idea and I'm glad that you're entertaining it. Um, especially while you have the discounted ability to do so, but you're going to find out it's not all it's cracked up to be. Um, especially for the kinds of players that we are, I think we get a lot more out of guitars and amps than we do pedals because they cost a lot more. But,
1: yeah,
0: and yeah, and there's definitely players out there who get more out of pedals than they do guitars and amps.
1: Yeah. So I've got to figure out a way. I think I think what I'm going to do is go back to my my pedal train classic, which is just a two row thing. I think they're the perfect um, size. It's not too small. It's not too big.
0: I don't like the slats on them, but they're the perfect yeah, size like either. dimensionally. Yeah. Um, For a like gigging guitar player
1: yeah so i'm thinking that that to put my the stuff that i would use on a regular basis um on there that's that's what i'm going to use is the is the middle one the one in the middle okay. which is the pedal train plastic
0: i can't tell you how many people i see around here locally who have like pedal train terras that have one or two pedals on them yeah they're big pedals but well, you no. had a Terra, the things like like a meter wide. What are you doing? Right, uh, I saw a guy. He had, a, he had an Axe Effects, uh, the Axe, uh, a, you know, the little Axe Effects pedal, right? Not the new yeah. one, not the FM three, but the, the the previous one. He had the Axe Effects on there. He had like a tuner. He had a, a, a wireless thing, and that was it. And it was on a pedal train Terra. I'm going chop your board in half, like. Yeah. Y- Meter long board for like
1: you know maybe a foot worth of stuff. You know where why wireless always sat? On top on of amp. my amp. Yeah. Why would I why why would you put that on a board?
0: Because Run a it? lot of people, if you're if you're plugging your if you're plugging into pedals, they yeah. want your receiver to go to the board so you're freed up for your pedal board. Not the other end where you're gonna beam your pedal board through the wireless into your oh. amp.
1: I see what you're saying.
0: So you're still tethered with a cable to your
1: board, whereas they're not. Well, you still got to go either from the board. You're going from the um, board to the amp. You're wireless. I, no, I run the wireless from the wireless to the... Um, receiver and receiver. then a cable
0: out of the receiver and back to your board? cable out and cable back yeah oh that's stupid yeah. i'm sorry jim but that's stupid well it saves space save space but then you got to have extra cables so now you're paying you're carting around an extra pound yeah yeah about a pound yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was gonna say about a pound don't tell me it's not a pound i know you got 40 footers
1: <laughs> well 30, i don't use 20, yeah i don't use forty-four. 44, yeah. yeah. that's for sure it like i'm using 15, usually about 40, yeah, yeah 15 18 is the top yeah so but <clears throat> the point is that um so many of these new wireless systems they're just so big uh i
0: would say yes and no I think it really depends on what you're trying to accomplish. I've seen which, a lot of people. I've seen people gigging with the Nux around here. Which is the one? Yeah, a lot up, of people. Yeah, the Nux. one you've got. The one you've got, not the Nux. The one you have.
1: Yeah, that little one. The, the yeah, little the thing bug. I, I forget what it is. Yeah, uh, I, it's not Nux. It's another company. But it, um, there's a, I, I also have a Sure. Yeah, that I have. That's that's the one I use for gigging. But I've used the I've used the little one. I can't remember what it's called. It starts with an A. I can't remember. Yeah. I'd have to go get it. Um, but the the um, the one that um, people are always looking for these inexpensive ones, which I find funny because didn't you buy the Boss one? Did you buy I the had Boss, the one Boss one? wireless
0: unit? And it, I cannot recommend to you to buy the Boss WL20. Right. You have a 90 day warranty on a on a 200 product that is prone to failure. Um, actually they, they, there's a run of them that have bad caps and they won't cover me under warranty. Yeah. So they screwed you, right? So I'm stuck. I have a, uh,
1: $90 or $190 paperweight sitting on my desk right now. Yeah. It's worthless. It's totally worthless. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, I was looking at the, the more expensive line six, not the, not the, what is it? G30. Then it goes up to.
0: Yeah. And live 6 is okay. I mean, a lot of people don't
1: like the build quality, but for what they yeah. are, they're okay. Yeah, I just can't recommend, like you said, I cannot recommend the um, the Boss product.
0: If I now, was going bl- to the- buy yeah, wireless right now, I would minimum spend $400. Yeah. Uh, and I'd get the I get the Sure GLX. Yeah. I, and I'd probably get the pedalboard version, even though I don't run a pedalboard all the time, just mm-hmm. because it makes more sense for like, if I was going to start running wireless at shows, I probably would bring it. It's um, just I, do yeah. open mic. I don't do wireless and open mics.
1: Just cable. No, no point. Yeah. No, there's too much. There's too much involved hooking up a wireless to somebody else's system. Just too much. Um, but it's funny because like uh, um, we we're talking about with the with the um, the other thing. I <clears throat> was it the the sure that I have. It's the. What is it? The GLX or whatever. It's the version of that before that became yeah. the GLX. Yeah, they it's just, just a little of, box, not that big.
0: Yeah, wind, it's just a it's a half rack unit with no yeah. rack ears. Yep. And those are cool. Um, those are the UHF systems that were coming out with. And actually, I don't even know if those are still in use. They might have. Uh, you might be breaking the FCC rules. To use I'm
1: probably that. breaking FCC rules left and right every time I power that thing up. Yep, I'm sure of it.
0: Uh, so you might want to invest. Uh, Those cell phones your, are probably go get that GLX while you're uh go get that GLX while you're uh while
1: you're uh still able for for you know reduced rate. Yeah. Um, but I kind of like the uh the the ability to choose your cable link and a few other things that the that the line six has. I think the sure has that as well. Yeah, I think the GLX does.
0: Um, the GLX has a has a freaking great tuner in it. Apparently, yeah. Which I is a lot of people that. are like, like, sell your tuner, get a GLX. Like that's that's what I've been hearing. So, um, I do intend to get one eventually, but I'm not gigging enough to need wireless at this point. So it's not really, like, it's not an important thing for me right now. But yeah. it is in the it is in the back of my mind. Like it's, at some point, I'm
1: going to get one. Yep. Um. But, uh, man. Yeah, but I kind of I kind of am done as far as the pedals go. I'm kind of done. I mean, there's yeah, nothing like else you've to already get.
0: gotten to that point where you're just like, yeah, until, you get to, to until get. you get to until you
1: get gear fest
0: and you see every single pedal under the sun well, demoed.
1: Like, all right, so and you're
0: like, oh, the, I gotta have that.
1: Oh yeah, the the problem is, so um, there's like all these different drives, and every drive has a different flavor. It's kind of like going to Baskin Robbins, and you've got what is Baskin Robbins 32 flavors, right? You just
0: have to find the f- flavor that works for you.
1: Yeah, and and that's the thing. I mean, yeah, there are other fuzz, fuzzes, probably better fuzzes for other people, but I like my fuzzes, and I and there's probably better drives, but I've got the angry driver, and i got the thing, and you've got you're going to be sending me the 50-50. So there's no other oh, right. reason to have another drive, dude. By the way, what do you
0: think of the angry driver, man? I love it. I like it. I think the the uh, angry Charlie side of that pedal yeah. is freaking that's great. The,
1: that's the only side of it on you. <laughs>
0: Well yeah, but it's Marshall of Box, man. Yeah. You're using that's it, you're using it uh, uh Paul Gilbert style. You're running a Marshall of Box into a Marshall. I mean that's
1: yeah. Uh that's that's what he does. Yeah. Um, marshall in a box into a clean side of a marshall. Yeah. And uh so the angry Charlie, um, uh, I like the blues driver that I have, it's Wampler modified. I still gotta send that out to you one of these days so you can you can test it out. Yeah, I um, like to play with that. And then uh um. So really, I've got the Paisley and the Fuzz. That's it. You know, I mean, the Fuzz you gave me and the um, the Dark Side. Uh huh. And I like the Dark Side. That's probably because it's it probably is the same Fuzz, but I have them set up differently. So
0: whatever. <laughs> um. So just thinking about the the pedalboard journey that we all go on at some point in our lives. Do you feel like? Uh, outside of drives, yeah, because that's because that's obviously like that's a very character driven thing, yes. and a lot of people get I wouldn't be able to have every drive sound at my fingertips kind of, um, obsessed See, yeah. with it. And do you feel like there's anything missing from that side of it? Because I know you don't have a tube screamer, right?
1: No, yeah, I don't have do a you, tube screamer clone at all.
0: Do you feel like you're missing the mids? Because you used to push them, you know.
1: The underdog side of the Paisley Drive has a has a mid push that. Okay, I found.
0: Okay, so I almost wonder if that's like the mid boost circuit in the uh, Pinnacle, which is basically just a clean tube screamer.
1: Uh, yeah,
0: with a volume control and no gain control. Um, oh really? Yeah. Yeah, it, it's got a li- just a hair bit of gain on it, but it's mostly volume control and no tonal control either. I think he's got the tone set like
1: preset. Really? Yeah. Yeah, the so the underdog tri- side of the paisley is simple. Like the the paisley side of it has got low mids highs um right. gain and gain and level. But the underdog side is just gain, tone, level. That's it. Yeah,
0: no that's tube screamer.
1: Yeah. That is a tube screamer. Yeah.
0: so So that's the underdog side yeah i'm willing to bet that that is like a loose tube screamer like there's something maybe some stuff that's different in it but it's it might be like a discrete uh a discrete transistor tube screamer or something um but but he's like he 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 sort of gets like the mid-push thing and how that works and the stacking and all that so that would make that would totally make sense um so there's that right and then uh as far as the other pedals go you've basically just selected stuff that's like okay i need a modulation pedal okay i need this or that um not really like any specific focus on uh the type of thing you're doing right like cuz you're more general
1: you're more general player than that yeah i'm i'm very generalized i i found i found a use for every single pedal i have the only one I, and i talked to you about this the only one i'm thinking about getting is getting a um uh a um eq and only for pushing in the um during solos so that when i push this stuff a little bit i could take off some of the high end um so that's really um the only thing that i've been thinking about adding to it is a um is an eq and so i don't know if i want to use like a boss seven or um we talked about the which i liked i i watched i can't remember who did a Oh, it was, a uh, Pete Thorne did a thing on the, the, um, what is it called? The boss, um, E, 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 D, D, E, whatever, uh, 200, the 200 series EQ that they have. Cause then you yeah. could put a couple of presets in there.
0: And those are pretty cool. The digital EQ. Yep. Um, so just to give you an idea of how, like I built, when I built my monster board, the way yeah. i was thinking about the process and it ended up there was actually a lot of duplication yeah. um but i kind of looked at the categories of effects right. and i i said okay so to do what i was doing at the time this is what i was going to need i was going to need a drive pedal yep. a fuzz pedal yep, uh, in the style of a fuzz face specifically mm-hmm. a fuzz pedal in the style of a muff yep a fuzz pedal in the style of an octave fuzz I was going to need a chorus. Yep. I was going to need a univibe. Yep. I was going to need a reverb, a delay, yep. a compressor, and a yep. wah. Okay. Now, how many areas, and at one point, I was also going to need a phaser. So how many oh, okay. areas
1: are duplicates?
0: Is well, that about it's, I, actually, I'm just kind of thinking about, like, how many other areas of effect are there? I mean, there's flanger, right? <laughs> that might be the only one that wasn't on that board. Ring yeah, mod, ring modulation. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: I mean, there's not much else, right? So that's what I was thinking. Okay, so I've got um, wah, right? I've got fuzz um, with a because the the way that the dark side is built, it's got an octave side, and it's got the um, uh, but I leave it at flat. I, I totally leave
0: it flat. So, um, that evolved. I went. I went down that path, right? I had those all of those pedals yep. on one, on one board, yep. um, and then I trimmed it down to fuzz, octave fuzz, drive, chorus, vibe, reverb, delay, and wah. Yep. And the nice thing about the original board was because I was using both humbuckers and single coils, I could get away with. I used the the. I wouldn't use the. Uh, fuzz face and humbuckers i would use the uh big muff right and as i go through this process i start whittling things down i said well i'll just sub the fuzz so if i'm going to play with my humbucker guitar i'll throw this on the board and then i'll be good to go um so that allowed me to eliminate some stuff so i got rid of the the big muff i got rid of um the compressor because that Mm -hmm. wasn't as critical either um i got rid of the phaser because i thought phaser course and vibe are a little much right right um and it's really interesting that i trimmed i took a pet i thought i you know it's like i need one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven categories of pedal yep and then i trimmed it down to one two three four five six seven categories of pedal
1: yeah
0: and actually today if I was to make my list now, I would say, um, I need that, I need that. I'm, I'm writing them down as I go, and then we'll, we'll go through. I'm gonna need uh, that, and then that. Yep. And I'm not really even sure I need this last one. But mm-hmm. I only really need a fuzz, a drive, potentially an octave fuzz, and we'll get to that, and there's a reason. Um, vibe, reverb, and wah. The All only right. reason that I have an OctaFuzz on here is because I might have had to do that discreetly, but because I have the um, the uh, purple um, fuzz from uh, Source Audio, uh, which name escapes me, the Kingmaker, yeah. I can I can use the toggle on it to get the OctaFuzz. Mm-hmm. So you'll see me during a set like reach down and hit the toggle so that I can get into the octopus mode during
1: a song. And well, if, if you look, I've got wah, fuzz, drive, reverb, delay, okay, which I know they're kind of the same thing. That's so why um, I eliminated delay. Reverb, delay, hold on. Um, compression, um, phase, chorus, and vibe but that's because the reason i have chorus and vibe and i know what you're thinking but because i'm covering when you when you look at 80 stuff chorus when you look at 60 stuff vibe two different things and i've got um flange on the um on the dark side because it's there and so i have it i have it to be able to dial up.
0: it's just funny because i don't need any of that like i just i just slowly turned it down and when i go to go through the pedal selection process like my mindset is not I have to nail this sound. It's like I want to find the one that sounds coolest to me, and I'll go yeah. listen to sounds, and that's my yeah. pick one. It's not like, oh, I want to nail X's guitar tone or something like that. Oh, I can't. I mean, I, I I just I couldn't do that. I was like, right. I was like, so for example, um, when I decided I wanted to do the the Octavia thing, I was like. Listening to Jimi Hendrix and knowing like that's kind of the effect I wanted to get, but not like I wanted to sound like Jimi Hendrix. I wanted to get the octave up and the trashy amount of distortion. Um, And so I auditioned a bunch and I ended up with the Fuzzmaster General, which is not based on an Octavia. It's the opposite. Um, So, I mean, I'm, I'm open. I just think about them as in categories and then I go find the one that works best for me.
1: Okay, so I'll give you I'll give you a primal example. All right, so I'm playing an open mic, and this is the kind of stuff I do at open mic, folks, because <laughs> I'll play everything. Um, so I'm playing an open mic, I'm doing "If" by Bread. Okay. Okay. Now I'm doing "If" by Bread. If you listen closely, what's that? What's that song? Just dripping in. Probably univibe. I haven't listened vibe. to it in a long time. All over the place. Five univibe. It's got that, you know, that that almost ping pong univibe thing, and I know I'm, I know ping pong is a different thing, but that yeah crazy univibe fast yeah, and it's really fast. And then if you take the same effect and you go to the greatest song Daryl Hall and John Oates never did, that they get credit for all the time. Another one, the 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 signature sound is a unive now will i ever get exactly that Will i'll ever get that exact vibe sound no but um if you listen to baby come back um that's another one that's got that univibe. just you know and and so i have to be able to um and then and then what i do for because i hate hate, hate the, um, what's that thing you stick in your mouth and you the, the, talk, the, um, the talk box, talk box. I would not use a talk box folks for any amount of money. They're gross. I think I've talked about that before. They're Just grotesque, would not use it anyway, cause I have used them and yuck. I did not want to use it the second time. I'm like, whose spit is on that? Cheers. Oh, that's gross. Anyway. Um, and I know you clean them, but, ah, uh, no, you put your mouth on it. Good Lord. Where's that thing been? It's been in your pedal board. Oh, my God. Where has that been? I mean, you know, and if you if you remember, I I played in the days of smoky bars. So I put my mouth on that thing. I'm like, oh, God, it smells like tobacco and just cigarettes. Oh, God. It's an ashtray in my mouth. But anyway, I don't know how Frampton got away with it. Maybe he was a smoker back then. I don't know. Maybe he just um, didn't care. Maybe he replaced the tube every night. Who knows? If you listen to Frampton Comes Alive, that thing's on just about every single song.
0: Yeah, there's only like two that it isn't on. It's crazy, and there's like that's a double album, so.
1: Yeah, and so to get that sound, to get that almost talky, fuzzy sound, now that I'm using fuzz, before I used distortion to do a similar thing, I'd just use a wah into a distorted thing, and I would, you know, just control the wah. Yeah, fake it, and nobody cared. But I wasn't gonna do that, you know. Um, or uh, what's that that Bon Jovi song, "Living on a Prayer," right? Yeah, it's got that in the beginning. And there's an Allison, is it Allison Chains? Yeah, they've, song, they've got one too. Yeah, Man in a Box is it Man yep. in a Box. Man in a Box. Yeah. So I mean, I, I use the I use the stuff to get the sound, um, and of course, you need a really ethereal delay to get some of that pink floyd stuff you need to get you know you need a benson echo rack and my and siri thought i was talking to her yeah she's she's uh she's listening tonight let me tell you what a (laughs) (laughs) she is so i i she is so jealous she's jealous it's one of those for sure but i mean you know what i'm talking about then and and it's like i've tried pulling off I've tried playing um, like, all right, Wonderful Tonight. I've tried playing Wonderful Night on a humbucker. And it just ain't the same. You know what I mean? Okay. And, and, but I could do it. Don't get me you're wrong. You're more
0: concerned about what it sounds like than your audience is. Number one.
1: Yeah, I am. Which, right.
0: is, which is hilarious to me. I know players like, and I'm gonna get hate mail for this because I see it in forums all the time. But I know you're supposed to be inspired but to an extent like i don't know i mean i can i I play one guitar all night sure of course yeah but i mean i i mean you could play with one effect all night too and i know that yeah but it's like um i'm just thinking about so here let me give you a classic example robin trower right now you're not a huge robin Trower fan, but what is robin Trower known for what's he known for
1: the univibe Oh, oh, he's yeah. he heavily motorized it. He, yeah, he's the one that uh, uh, Eddie Van Halen yeah. stole the sound from.
0: Well, I don't know about that. He didn't use the Univibe. He's a phaser, but the, yeah. the slow vibe thing that was all over yeah. records. Yeah. Um. So that's the funny part. Yeah. So, you know what he used in the
1: eighties for Univibe? Boss uh, what? Boss chorus. A boss chorus. Yeah, a boss CE one, right? Yes. Yeah, the CE1. and then
0: later a CE2 yep. and a string of other chorus pedals. And the Craft is right there. <laughs> yeah, somewhere. <laughs> That's why. And then, my he, and then of course, right then he now. started going back to using like the original Univibe and stuff later, but, um, yep. and then, of course, now he uses the Deja Vibe. But my point is, I used a Flanger at some point to emulate that, uh, like, an, like an ADA or something. Um, the reason I'm bringing this up Is because there's a player that's synonymous with a piece of gear, but he didn't rely on it. And I think there's a tendency, even for like people that play pop bar gigs and open mics and stuff like that, like we do for people to like, I got to nail this. It's like, no one gives a crap? You've got to be happy
1: with it. Not them. Yeah, exactly. And I was going to make a point there. So sometimes you get bored with it. Sure. And then you turn that pedal off and you do something different that's right and so let's let's take Robin Trower for example I mean like you said the guy was synonymous with Univibe right a lot of his stuff was um, Univibe driven <laughs> just yeah dripping in Univibe right and so like I said it went it, that spilled over you can't tell me David Gates wasn't thinking of Robin Trower when he did yeah if when he did Guitar Man because um, he's got a slow vibe on that it goes Whoa! yeah anyway so if you take um if you're robin tower you're like man i can't even stand to hear. i'm i'm standing in an elevator or at the grocery store i'm hearing my own univibe sound i gotta change it i gotta do something it's boring and it's, well, and it's everywhere and that's the funny part people who
0: saw him when he was using choruses jim they couldn't tell people <laughs> oh, knew sure. how to dial him to get him to sound like what do you want it anyway so yeah
1: Most of those people were stoned out of their minds, believe me. I've been to I've probably. seen Robin Trower. <laughs> yeah, probably. Everybody I knew was stoned out of their minds. <laughs> but um yeah, I mean you take uh Pat Travers, another one. Um <clears throat> uh he was just his guitar was his voice, and when he regardless of what rig he used, I got to see Pat Travers many times. Um and uh You can tell when people care more about their playing than the gear they're playing through.
0: And it's not necessarily that they're sound the same, but it's like, no, they still have the same tenacity and ferocity. And that translates.
1: Yeah. Dillinger, right? Uh, Rick Dillinger. Yeah, Derringer.
0: Bad. You mean Derringer. Derringer?
1: Derringer. What is Dillinger. Oh, um, it's taking a Dillinger exa- escape plan. No, 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 not the same. No, no,
0: no. Not that um, same Dillinger. thing at all.
1: <laughs> Rick Can Derringer. Imagine,
0: I mean, dude, could you imagine if you went to go buy a Rick Derringer record and he picked up Dillinger escape Dillinger plan? The it,
1: totally. Wow. <laughs> no, that doesn't sound like him at all. Um, <laughs> wow man he made his trade a change <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> that where, where's rock and roll hoochie coo yeah um, holy crap dude like what kind of drugs are you on <laughs> it's funny because if you think of rick derringer right i mean a lot of people think um because he was synonymous with les paul for a long time but in the beginning he was on um uh not warwick's um he played a Luke, lot of
0: different stuff over his career, Warlocks. man. Yeah. He was on all kinds of stuff. He played three thirty-fives and he played yep. um later on he played uh uh Steinbergers. Yeah. Um He's yeah. a little guy, so it's not surprising. Well, you know. And and that's another guy that's like, oh well I kind of know how he sounds. Like I remember him on all the uh the Johnny Winter records. And yep. then like and then you hear him on like um uh what uh what's the, the um Edgar Winter group. Yep. You know, and you're like, that's him? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause him and Johnny Winter were good buddies. They're brothers, you know, like, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then King Biscuit Flower Hour
1: and all that stuff. Like, wasn't he in? Uh, I'm trying to check to make sure I'm not mistaken. Yeah. He was. He was in the McCoys. Yeah. And the McCoys had a song. Does anybody remember their song? Hang on, Sloopy. Sloopy, yep. hang on. that. Was dun, dun, dun he said that that paid his bill for years years that's been that's been mailbox money for decades
0: yes and uh he actually talked about how um like he didn't make any money until like the early 2000s on like regular records because that was the that was the cash money and then he got screwed on his record deal with with johnny winter by his by winter's management and yep. like he he did a string of albums where he was getting nothing. Um yep. and he did get paid, I think, for for uh, the Enter Winter Group stuff. Yep. And um I think that was it. He was a, and and that's another
1: thing. I believe he's on Frankenstein, but I don't think he's credited for it. Yeah, I think so too. Um well I think that didn't they um something happened where he didn't get any money for um uh rock and roll hoochie the longest time
0: yeah yeah because, no, he um, never, i don't think he was ever paid for it
1: yeah at, um uh edgar winter got all that money yeah i don't that think was, he was ever paid for it and he wrote that song if i remember correctly
0: yeah he he did him. well he has the rights to perform it now yeah um and he also so he played on uh, steely dan's gaucho too um yep. and then later on fagan's nightfly Man, what a what a career of a guy that like nobody would even know who this dude was. I mean, yeah, um, Bonnie Tyler's "Total Eclipse of the Heart." Uh, He was on a Meatloaf album after that, "Midnight at the Lost and Found," and then uh, Barbra Streisand's version of "Left in the Dark." Yep. Um, He didn't he work with Cyndi Lauper? No, he was a friend of Cyndi Lauper's. No, he he was a friend. I think he did a tour with her. And then, uh, wow, he did uh, WWF music before it became a WWF He was also
1: part of Ringo Starr's all-star band with – what's his name? Oh, yeah, yeah, that I knew about. And then uh, I'm just looking to see like there's
0: anything else that I'm missing here. Uh, Yeah, he did did a –
1: yeah, so it looked like he didn't really record a whole lot during the period between like 87 and – Yep, he pretty much dropped out of the the limelight for – from what 87 to 2000 and something right or the mid 90s i know it was uh quite a while where he was gone dude um, he discovered weirdo yankovic and recorded his first record mm-hmm.
0: he was his producer i didn't know that
1: yeah.
0: uh and then in 97 he became an evangelical christian yeah um and he self described jesus freak
1: even yeah, though he, he
0: wrote a song called rock and roll
1: hoochie <laughs> <Uchiku>, cool <laughs> yep <laughs>
0: which oh, she now performs oh, on TV and stuff. I mean, for like commercials and oh
1: yeah, did you see the the commercial where it was like Geico? You've saved enough yeah. money to to hire Rick Derringer to come in here. That's when I I was like, oh my god, he's like, as dude, short as I thought he was. Well, he was no, but whole commercial.
0: The whole commercials, like, his story is so legendary at this point that, like, he's actually pimping himself out for commercials about how crappy, like, his career actually went.
1: Yeah, how it wound up. Yeah, it's really
0: messed up when you think about it. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah.
1: So, no, but the point is, like, this guy's had a hell of a career. He's gone through a lot. Um, And yet, look at all the guitars. He's played everything from, like you said, 335, PRSs, Trats, Les Pauls, Warwick's. So um, do what makes
0: you happy. That was or BC what, Rich. I mean, it, it just, if you want to be if you want to be a Dillinger escape plan, you're going to have to do what makes you happy.
1: That's right. And uh Rick Dil- Rick, Dillinger, Rick escape Dillinger escape plan. plan. <laughs> that is the name of the episode. That's it. I'm putting it down the, right now. The Rick, Rick Dillinger, Dillinger escape, escape. plan. <laughs> uh I can uh, never Rick remember Dillinger
0: anything. Escape plan. Yep. All right, it's done. Um I'm not done yet. I think I, we got a few more minutes. It's, you know, we're all on lockdown. Let's all have a little moment together. Um, so what I trying to tell you, Jim, is that I think you're going to come to the similar conclusion that I do. Like it's more of a pain in the butt to have like a big board, with all the stuff, it. much better to have like a board that you can change things out of, or yep. just have like two boards. If I want to play this way, this night, then I'll grab this one. Yep. If I want to play this way, this night, I'll grab this one. Right. If you're going to do a monster board, if you w- need to have all the sounds at your fingertips, that's why things like the Helix exist.
1: Yeah. Like
0: that's what those are for.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, And if you're going to try to like forge your own sound, that's what boards are for. And that's kind of the way I approach it now. So I'm doing the, I'm doing my cover band project and I've been kind of loosely like working on stuff and mm-hmm. thinking about, you know, how I'm going to lay all that out with the, the Kemper and stuff. Um, And I found that, for the cover band project, I think the Kemper works really well, yep. even though I'm not really changing a lot of songs and sounds because I have enough artistically way in that band that I can get away with. Kind of, here's my Deluxe Reverb, and then here's the effects I'm going to apply to the Deluxe Reverb, and then I'm just going to have varying levels of gain. Yep. And that's my performance, right? Um. And, but on my own stuff, like, I use the Kemper differently. I'm using... Like I'll have one amp There's a performance, and I'll have all four, four channels or five channels or you know, five different sounds across the buttons, and then I'll have individual control over effects. So I'm thinking about that more like an actual like physical wriggle camera. And the ultimate goal is to have a pedal board that can plug into the Kemper, yep. a pedal board that I can go direct with first off. Right. Back up, open mic. A pedal board that I can plug into my Kemper and maybe skip the amp in a box drive at the end and then use that as my primary, like before amp effects. Yeah. So I can toggle those on just like a real pedal board yeah. and then use the Kemper for delay and reverb.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. And I think like for me, that's the best possible scenario for a hybrid solution. Right. Now I'm still going to add a reverb so that if I do have to go direct with the pedal board, I have a reverb But honestly, like other than that, it's just gravy at that point. I just need to be able to have a couple drives I can kick on and off, put it in a loop on the Kemper, and turn it on and off when I need it, and um, just pretend it's a regular part of my rig. That's never something that's going to happen in an open mic. It's going to happen when I start gigging my music and in an actual live venue as a a live set, uh, which I hope to do at some point this year, uh, if you know circumstances change, and uh, I can actually sit down and record (laughs) parts of my music which is why I've been working on my flooring, trying to get that done so I have enough space to actually use my studio again. Um, But I don't know. I just think there's a different philosophy to it. Um, And Mike and I actually were going back and forth about this a little bit too in our conversation this week, whereas he was was contemplating like, he's working on a spellboard right now. He's in seclusion. He's working from home like everybody else or not working. And he's kind of like, how do I fix all these problems? So one of the things he did, we said i'm getting away from solderless cables i'm gonna build actual dyed in the wool soldered together patch cables and he sent me a picture of one the other night to which i jokingly sent a picture of my flooring that i was working on and <laughs> he made a comment about now i'm a real man because i've made something with my hands and then i responded to him and i said no call me when you've done this like <laughs> you know it's like hold my beer <laughs> you know I yeah exactly um i uh i was laughing because uh he's doing these soldered cables and I'm thinking like, man, that's so much work. But then I got to thinking, I was like, I'm going to do it too. At some point. Cause there's no point in me having all these solderless patch cables to do all this stuff. Right. I don't have monster boards anymore. The whole point of that is like, if you have some sort of monster setup, you're going to use these solderless cables to, uh, circumvent, you know, having to buy all the individual patch cables you need. Right and you you're going you're
1: going soldered right yeah mine's all
0: soldered um are you using live wires um i didn't make fun of you i didn't turn up my nose i don't want anybody to think that nope i'm using these flat uh pancake plugs from like hosa or something like yeah yeah i've used the pancakes from hosa i usually chop the cable off and replace it with good cable
1: well yeah, I, I use mean, the ends from them, but I use the cable. Well, these fun. are from Ernie Ball, but it's the same thing. Ernie Ball. Oh would yeah, make.
0: Ernie Ball would be much better than Hosa. One hundred percent. I guarantee their cables better than Hosa's.
1: Uh, yeah, it, I mean it, it's actually manufactured this decade, so yeah. So I'm saying, but they're yeah, Ernie Ball's making flat ones now, um, and it's so easy to run these little guys for you for you guitarists.
0: The whole cable's yeah. flat. For you guitarists and uh, cable people and anybody that uses, you know, musical instrument cable, when you go to the guitar center and you go into the live area where they have all the cable hanging up, go to the HOSA section oh, and rub your, rub your finger across the top of a HOSA package.
1: <laughs> See how dusty I it is? Hear,
0: there's dust from like 10 years ago on there because they just don't, like nobody buys them. But apparently everybody buys them because <laughs> – Every store carries five billions. Yep. And the hoses are garbage. Like I've had so many cables that I bought Hosa cables, like just in a pinch that it failed. And it's like, who's still buying these? It's and it's really just because the inventory cost is so low. Yeah. Like, yeah. Guitar center, that whole display that you just like rubbed your finger across the top of there's probably like $50 for the product there. Yeah. I mean, I, Honestly, and it's I mean it's a huge section of the store, but there's fifty dollars for the product there.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> no comment. A, some of their cables are like 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 a like a, a buck. I mean yeah. I mean and we're talking about like fifteen foot guitar cables, but the cost of guitar center is like a buck. Oh yeah. Yeah, I, I would think the metal would be worth more than a dollar.
1: <laughs> it's crazy. It really is. It's insane.
0: Um, so anyway, I gave people our extra 15 minutes of being stupid and talking about Jim's terrible pedal board. there so anything you'd like to add to the episode, Jim? <laughs> Not really. Not really. I'm <laughs> really nice to you, Jim. I don't want to hear about it. I'm, I'm nice to you. I think you do some really dumb stuff and I have never really insulted you the way I've wanted to. I, like I, I should just lay uh, into you one episode so
1: you can hear it. I, you know, I don't mind. You know, I got a, I got a strong. It's from, Jim, it's from here. I got a strong back. Here. I'm fine. It's, 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 from here. The thing that, the thing that I'm it's looking like here at here. is, you know, I'm sitting here on, on not a really big pedal board, but that, that said, I, I own more pedals now than I've ever owned in my life, at any one time. And
0: if, if a commoner, us lowly peasants that don't work at guitar Center, <laughs> would buy that board that would be over a thousand dollars.
1: Yep. Yep. It would be.
0: And that's, and that's the point that I want to make about this. I know Jim, I've interrupted you. I apologize, but it's very quick when you're buying pedals at a hundred bucks a pop or $200 a pop. It's real easy to hit that thousand dollar mark and not even think
1: about it. Yep. Well, if you think about it, even, even just this little, Four pedal board with the with the wah pedal, which is fifth, and then my Dunlop uh, volume pedal. All right, Dunlop pedal volume pedal, 150 bucks. Wah pedal, 250 bucks. We're 400. That's if I paid full price, which I did. All right, we, let's keep going. We've got the uh, the dark side, which is 299 dollars. We've got the Paisley Deluxe, which is 250 dollars. We get the Carbon Copy which is two is it 200 and the Keeley compressor which is 100 where oh i thought you were counting it up just
0: uh we're just I, these, I, i'm not counting it up
1: because i already just know these six pedals with the power supply if i added the power supply so it was 400 what was that uh 700 so dollars on the little board um, not, we're we're well over a thousand right here in front of me yeah I, I know that's my point
0: is it like it's really easy to get to the point and where you're not even thinking right, about how that much that doesn't even is-
1: count. the the wazacraft chorus the um, uh, univibe the phase 90 um, the uh, the evh phase 90 not just the regular phase 90 the so it's got the script um, the cavern I think that's it, Tim.
0: You have a PRSCE on your board, and the ang- yeah,
1: and the ang um, angry Charlie.
0: That's the way yeah. I look at this stuff. When I look down at my board and I go, "That could have been a PRSCE, or that could have been, you know, a Gibson yeah. Les Paul," then I go, "What yeah. am I doing here?" That's when I stop and I go, no, wait, you've taken this too far. You haven't really thought yeah. about what you're buying. It says the man right. $650 <laughs> over there. Uh, <laughs> because I, I sound like such a hypocrite when I say it, but like, I really do. I'm I'm very cognizant now about what I've spent where. And I think I get more bang for my buck by buying guitars and amps than I, or, or amp modeling devices than I do from buying individual effects. Right. So,
1: all right. If I looked at the, just the three main guitars that I'm playing right now, right? The Les Paul Standard, Gibson SG, and Fender Stratocaster, the Ultra. That's it. Those are the three main guitars that I'm I'm playing every single day. So... I, what else i mean other than a telecaster what else is there and and that's only if a person jim, wants a telecaster or needs one.
0: can i, go can I can, i'm gonna i'm gonna end after after i ask you okay. a simple question did you or did you not say to me that i buy with my ears or buy buy with my eyes not with my i buy a
1: lot of stuff with my eyes ivan david <laughs> i have jim and tonight we've been the practical guitarists. Somewhat.